arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitt. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Artemis Moon Base Camp is now made up of three main modules. The Foundation Surface Habitat, which houses four astronauts, the Habitable Mobility Platform, and the Lunar Terrain Vehicle, which is an unpressurized rover that transports suited astronauts around the lunar base. There are also power systems in place, along with resource mining and production systems. The Artemis Moon Base marks the beginning of the first human space colony. The moon base begins expansion using solid modules and lightweight inflatable habitats. NASA launches an SLS rocket headed to Mars. It becomes the first to dock at the Lunar Gateway Space Station before transiting to the Red Planet. Testing begins on a NASA rocket that is powered by a nuclear reactor. Valkyrie R9 robots are sent to begin working at the Lunar Gateway and at the Moon Base. They take on dangerous tasks such as spacewalks, repairing air leaks and habitats, and gathering materials in dangerous terrains on the Moon. A spacecraft with a mega-solar sail of 1,672 square meters, 18,000 square feet, sets sail for the distant stars. It uses beamed propulsion from ground-based lasers on Earth, the Moon, and Mars. A new Gateway space station begins construction in Mars's orbit, acting as a transit station for astronauts before preparing to land on the surface. NASA spacesuits are now made with self-healing and self-cleaning materials, which are embedded with soft robotics. The first crewed mission lands on an asteroid. They deploy a series of ion thrusters that maneuvers the asteroid towards the moon where it is converted into water and fuel. The NASA-funded Clean Skies Project is in full force. Probes move through Earth's orbit, gathering and clearing tons of debris using foam. Asteroid-based mining begins. Robot factories land on ice asteroids, converting ice into water and fuel. Future deep space missions use these asteroids as refueling outpost stations. Testing begins on bioengineering humans for space travel. A group of astronauts undergo a gene editing procedure designed to reduce muscle and bone loss during extended space missions. Astronauts are now better suited to endure the multi-year journeys to the outer system. A robotic probe en route to Jupiter visits an asteroid fueling station. The test docking and refueling mission is a success. Inter Astra, the first crewed mission to the outer system, launches. Humans venture to the outer solar system on a 13-year mission. The outer system spacecraft reaches Mars. The ship is replenished with life support and fuel at the gateway, and a slingshot maneuver around Mars sends the ship to the outer solar system. Inter Astra arrives at Jupiter, orbital insertion on Christmas Day. The outer system ship makes a precision landing on Jupiter's moon, Europa. Crew mine icy water to replenish fuel and life support for the return journey. The crew spends two weeks on Europa mapping and sampling for evidence of life before setting off on their return journey. Habitats constructed on the surface of asteroid Psyche create the first asteroid mining colony. The outer system ship, Inter Astra, returns to the inner system. The rigors of space travel have weakened the astronauts. The crew transfer to the Mars base, where they experience gravity for the first time since leaving Earth and begin their physiotherapy. Relativity Space begins testing 3D printing on the Moon, building the first spacecraft off-world. The first gene-enhanced astronaut group is sent on their first missions to the Moon and Mars. A small-scale Dyson structure begins testing. 
It focuses the sun's solar energy onto the solar sail of a spacecraft that begins traveling across the solar system. NASA is absorbed into the newly created multi-planet organization, the United Planetary Space Agency. Fleets of robotic cargo vessels transport materials across the solar system to human outposts. The first Alcubierre warp drive goes online and begins testing, allowing humankind to explore distant stars. There are loads of documentaries describing what will happen in the future. That once the technology is there, the inquisitiveness of the human mind cannot be stopped. The world of Harry Cobb, taken for granted by its inhabitants, is inevitable. What is about to happen to Cobb and the others is neither inevitable or likely, and Cobb has no idea what is about to take place. Let's begin the final episode of Harry Cobb and the Ice of Triton by Robert P. Fitton here on Fitton on the Air. Chapter 21 The jolt awakened me. In a blur that subsequently sharpened, I saw O'Neill open his eyes. Patno was still asleep. The tracer decelerated quick enough to make me clutch the recliner edges as I crossed the cabin. Patno grumbled when the forward door slid open. What's this all about? Good question, said Patno, rolling onto his side. Then he hoisted himself up using the recliner. While he began a verbal duel with somebody on the frequency. I'm arguing with a stupid zip connection. A zip signal, not human. O'Neill said nothing as we wandered into the cabin. A wide, Class Seven military tracer hovered outside. I wondered whether Alder's people had already arrived. I want to know who commandeered this vessel, said Wiley. Registry is out of the belt. Ask her right, Z-45, base 11. Answered the automated voice. You have a lock on this vessel. Release it now. Request docking and warning. I don't even know who the hell you are. Who sent you? Wiley's eyes opened in the red dim light as the outside vessel gained control of his internal systems. I'm on a direct mission for Commissar Alder. Alder, Felix, Director of Intrasolar System Bureau. All right, but he'll be Commissar in less than two days. Release this damn ship. The lower portion of the huge ship obscured the stars as the two ships docked. Wiley sat back in the recliner and dragged his hand over his face. His blue eyes bulged and sweat droplets accumulated on his forehead. He shook his head and the lock snapped into place across the cabin's outside hatch. O'Neill shrugged his shoulders. Aim your pulses at that hatch, shouted Wiley as he stood and spun. Three guards dropped to one knee and aimed their rifles at the steel-blue silkoplast door. The door outside pneumatically whooshed open. Wiley drew a pinpoint pulser and stepped forward. The hatch bolt popped, but nothing happened. O'Neill rushed toward the outside hatch. Show yourself. Hey, I'm in charge here, said Wiley, and he passed O'Neill near the hatch. Then he grabbed the handle and nodded to his men. Rennie winked as he lowered himself into the other room. I quickly looked forward. I had trouble restraining my emotions at seeing him alive. Wiley flung open the hatch and his men fired pulses into the empty lock. He held up his hand as Rennie rounded the corner. Down with a messel, mate. One of the guards tilted his rifle, and Rennie pushed five quick blue pulses into his body. O'Neill smashed the second guard's neck, and the third man simply dropped his pulser rifle. O'Neill retrieved the pulser and threw the other one to Patnome. You gotta be kidding, said Wiley, and he too threw his weapon onto the floor. I quickly scooped it up. Who the hell are you? Just a cowboy around at the head. You coming with me? I ain't going anywhere, said Wiley. Rennie pushed the rifle until it dimpled his throat. On the other hand, I thought you'd see it my way. He waved the rifle to his left. Over there and shut up. I stepped up to Rennie as Wiley and the two guards moved toward the supply closet. Thought you were dead. Sorry to disappoint you, mate. I was taken to the prison. So was I. And two of those goon guards took me to the upper levels. They questioned me about what I was doing on Triton. Then a tracer took me away, to Jacob Levinsky's compound up north. I leveled with him, but I didn't have a hell of a lot of information. Where are we going? 
You're going to have bureau traces all over you if you don't bring us to Felix Alder on Earth. Thought I told you to shut up. Yeah, I'll shut up and we'll all be dead. No one's going to be dead. We're heading back to Station 32. Look, you don't realize what will happen. We're going to prison and we're heading to the waters of oblivion. You know? I know where the underground passage is. Past the contamination zone. But where it goes was never spelled out. It's not on any of the zip maps. Levinsky thinks it must be a code. He'll have people waiting for us inside. Wiley shook his head. You people haven't got a chance. You're nuts trying this. You know nothing, Buck. I said and looked at Rennie, still shocked that he was alive. Oh yeah, wise guy? Why would you deal with Al Capone Levinsky? Tell him, Harry said O'Neill as Rennie marched the pilot out to Wiley. Alder was involved in payoffs to Jenna Belka. He murdered Nevis, Wiley, said O'Neill loudly. We have data conversations. Right, real credible, and now you're dealing with Levinsky. Oh, like you don't, said Rennie, chuckling. You watch him, Harry. I'm bringing her in. You don't even have clearance. Well, we will. Man after my own heart, said Rennie, as he and O'Neill disappeared with Wiley around the corner. I wasn't taking any chances with the guards and secured them inside the storage room. Patnode handed me a cup of warm jaffron as the door slid shut. Thank you, John. Sure. I took a huge, steamy gulp. Just finding them will be difficult. I haven't said anything, Harry, but even if you find Jenna and Mark, how are you going to convince him to come out with the Nevis information? And if you do, what's to prevent Alder from just killing the lot of us? First, we won't be accessible. Second, we do it with merit in the judicial apparatus. We send it on frequency everywhere. We have lasted two days, and he's on to us. I know, John. I know. O'Neill bounced around the corner. His eyes were glassy and his countenance sober. Richard Merritt is dead. Oh, no. Tracer attack on Mars. We have no means to go forward legally. We'll have to wing it. Patnoll looked up and squinted. Wiley was increasingly belligerent as we approached Triton orbit. Rennie and O'Neill forced him into obtaining a landing clearance at the Sazerun. Wiley, at the end of O'Neill's pulsar, held his hands on his hips as Rennie brought the ship into orbital alignment. You're daffy. You all know that. I'm telling you that Alder killed Nevis. So what? What the hell does it matter now? Tell me that. You cowboys aren't even going to stop Alder. Even if it were true, Severinsen would clamp this place to- Well, we're gonna try. With what? You don't think Jenna Balkan is alive? Your buddy here told me that he heard about this waters of oblivion crap inside the prison. You've all been conned, Cobb, all of you. We have the sound recordings. You have nothing. And that will stand up nowhere. And how do you know they weren't all lying? Because it wasn't a recording. Well, I for one don't want to go down for this. When they find out I haven't brought you to Earth, he won't waste any time with me. And I say that puts you on our side, mate. I like you even less than I like Cobb. Oh, I'm hurt, said Rennie, bringing the craft sub-atmospheric. He's hurt. We're all dead men. The waters of oblivion is a myth. Don't you think we would have found the Balkans? O'Neill's brow rose. Frankly, no. Big Bureau man. And why aren't you still with the Bureau? And you too, Cobb. I spoke in a somber tone can thank your pal Severinsen for that. Rennie looked up and held his connector. Harry, there's a bloody flotilla of bureau vessels heading to Triton. See? See? With Phil Severinsen leading the way. O'Neill swung his eyes from Rennie. What do you think, John? I say at the least we take him out. Wiley laughed and his blue eyes rolled back as he tilted his head. Listen to you. Brave talk. Hey, Buck, shut up. Wiley mumbled something and buckled his belt, and I approached O'Neill, but spoke in a lower voice. What if he's right? There is no passage across that contamination area. O'Neill's face soured. He's not right, Harry. Come on. That's what I always like about you, John. Burning optimism. I'm right, and you'll see. He said as he moved up to Rennie. While he sneered as he walked by. What do you have on Severinsen? Six hours away. When they saw the tracer path intercepted, they evaluated and then headed to Triton. And all this inauguration? On schedule? Wonderful. Can you set this crate down near the Sarazen? It's too big. O'Neill glanced and then leaned forward. 
I can get us into the courtyard. Levinsky's people have texted us. Coded. It's real. They're waiting for us. We have about six hours. Again, Wiley chuckled from the recliner. Yeah, enough time to sink with all of them. Somehow I thought O'Neill would make it happen. That was another one of his qualities. How he made you believe the odds really meant nothing. That if you really wanted something, it was yours for the taking. Yet years of experience taught me that in six hours, with no legal apparatus, we had far too little time to nail Alder. Chapter 22 Rennie had volunteered to depart Station 32 and lead Severinsen as far away from Triton as possible. With Wiley's three guards locked in the Trace's storage room, I jaunted with O'Neill and Patno behind Wiley through the hatch. Thin man in a black suko met us at the cooler air, just at the bottom of the ramp outside the Sarazen. I had a sinking sensation in my gut as I imagined the narwhal slinking into the pit below. We were sent here by Levinsky, he said in a high-pitched voice. I stared into his deep-set beady eyes. O'Neill swept his zip at him as if he were swatting a fly. Arnold Estes. Just Estes. What are your orders? Passageway to the Ice Mountains. Arrangements have been made to get you inside the tunnel, near the contamination area. We resumed walking and veered toward an entrance along the Silcoplast slab. He said to tell you this. The people who used it, the people who capped it, are all dead. The tunnel was scraped out by prisoners 75 years ago. An escape? asked Patno. A huge black door slid across a gritty track, and we entered a long, narrow gray corridor lighted by mesh-yellow hebons. Yes, they funneled over 300 men out of here, but not many survived the ice mountains. It was a massive escape. Not enough extended tea suits, not enough food. Many died in the contamination. But how do we know that this is the waters of oblivion? Vinsky didn't know, but there is a route around the contamination. Minuscule, encapsulated entities. The area was ordered contaminated and restricted. They capped it, and that cap was undone the day before Jenner Belkin's tracer blew up. That's what he meant, that guard. The tunnel was open. Must have seen him go in or heard about it. Mr. Levinsky thinks so. How long is this tunnel? Asked O'Neill. Does it have air? Listen, he said as he escorted us up a long, wide gray silcoplast stairway. We had to droid pad everyone in this place to get you in there. They will give you tea suits and provisions. We need instruments and vehicles. Why won't Levinsky help us? You don't get it. He's afraid of Alder. Mr. Levinsky is not afraid. He just wants to deal with Alder if he has to. Yeah, he's playing both sides, said Wiley. I know the routine, but... I'm sure you do, Buck. Funny man, Cobb. You're all done. Severinsen will be down in that tunnel with his men. All it will take will be Phil scanning the area to find out where the tunnel goes. Why didn't Levinsky just... It's not possible the tunnel cannot be scanned. That's ludicrous. You can scan through an entire planet. You're being set up, Cobb, said Wiley. O'Neill winced and then stopped Estes. Severinsen is on our tail. You have to keep him away from this tunnel. I don't understand why it can't be scanned. What? Rennie will take them on a wild ride. He isn't stupid. Severinsen will start questioning people about that craft landing, said Wiley. Come on. Odd that tunnel is shielded somehow, said O'Neill pensively. We reached an area at least 50 meters below the entrance to the stairs. A Sarazen guard opened another black fortified door, and we journeyed deeper below the prison. The same stale, putrid odor, although not as prevalent in this area, still reminded me of the horrors above. For at least fifteen minutes, the corridor wound through silcoplasts until it became solid rock. Supply carts were pushed down side corridors in this dimly lighted, dank section. O'Neill pinched the zip's connector with his fingers. I can still read this even down here. Thirty-two ships heading to Triton. They haven't even tracked Rennie as of yet. They're coming down here, that's why, said Wiley. You're all dead, don't you realize that, you dumbass? I turned without pivoting and shot a right cross into Wiley's chin, sending him tumbling down the ramp. He was sprawled on the silcoplast for a few seconds. Then he sat up and held his jaw. Cobb, I'll have you busted. Hey, Buck, shut up. O'Neill pretended to applaud. 
while he shook his head several times, but still did not get up. Then he focused on us. What are you, nuts? We either keep your trap shut, Buck, or I place the pulse of Barrow next to his temple, or I'll permanently close it. Wiley staggered to his feet, and then we continued the trek. Hebons were positioned in the rocks at ten-meter intervals. Outside a larger area with black corrugated ducts extending along the upper rock, O'Neill intercepted a critical message. Severinson was aware that we were all inside Station 32. It would be a matter of time before he realized what we had done. How would O'Neill manipulate the evidence against Alder? Wiley remained silent as the ascending sound of large machinery echoed between the layers of fine-grained brown rock. Severinson's tracer and the other vessels were on O'Neill's zip window. Estes turned and stepped back. Prisoners, Prisoners finished the tunnel to the edge. Yeah, but they had nowhere to go. Who really knew about this? People on the inside who eventually got out? Well, Levinsky knew. No, he found out by shaking down his whole organization. Former SARS and guards told people on Earth about the waters of oblivion. He pointed down a long slope to his left. Huge bins crushed mounds of rubbish trickling down from the chute above. Beyond was a smooth silcoplast smeared over the rocks. The crusher noise levels allowed them to dig and throw the contents in the bins. Clever. This must have taken forever. O'Neill was fixated on the zip. Well, John? He shook his head, and then Estes brought us quickly down the ramp under the massive crushes. A hole was pulsed out in the silcoplast, and tea suits were stored in portable bins to the right. Gentlemen, this is where I must leave you. You are on the edge of the contamination. Well, that's a pleasant thought. And I will also depart the area, said Wiley, moving his jaw. You're coming with us, Buck. For what? We like you. Plus, you know the area. I won't alert Severinsen while you're with us. Do I have a choice? No, you don't. The contamination no longer existed, according to all the zips, and monitoring the approaching Severinsen was nearly impossible. Just hearing my own breathing within the tea suit again made me nervous. This whole scenario disturbed me. I was impressed that Mark and Jenna may have gained access to the sculpture tube into the mountains. By cunningly destroying that tracer, Jenna feigned death. Levinsky, Alder, even Wiley were not aware that she had survived. Perhaps, I thought, as the light from the Sarazen disappeared at the bottom of the hill, they would forge new identities. Or maybe they already had. O'Neill opted for voice communications. We squeezed through the perforated silcoplast hole, and the handheld Hebon lights formed a moving glow down the rocky, narrow passage. Man will do anything for freedom. Even burrow through rock, I said, stepping over a few fallen stones. But what about the rest of this place? For two hours, stopping only for water and nourishment supplements, we forged deep into the ice mountains. My zip indicated we were only 4.7 kilometers from the prison, but 200 meters below the upper floors. Forward sweep showed nothing but rock. The outside temperature was minus 30 Celsius, and all the air in the passage was gone. I moved up ahead because something looked different. O'Neill wanted to communicate by text, beginning in an hour. The passageway ended at a solid rock wall. Damn. Well, this puts a little end to your coup d'etat, said Wiley. Alder is the only one cooping, Buck, said O'Neill, and then he looked up. This isn't a wall. Somebody's plugged this up, too. But why? The question of the day. I'm going in there. What, are you insane? Listen, I can make nice-nice with Severinsen. Make sure you guys aren't killed. Some kind of regress, according to my zip, but not a wall. Good way to keep people out. Those without zips. Can we uh, pulse through it? Probably not, he said, and he looked at his zip and then he nodded. Regress fields have coordinates and code. Exactly right, Harry. I have my zip trying to decipher that right now. As we run the race against Severinsen. We all positioned ourselves around the tunnel and waited. I thought it would be a few minutes or maybe a half an hour before the zip relayed the field stress coordinates. I was anxious when O'Neill told us Phil Severinsen had not only entered Triton orbit, was actually bound for Station 32. I was on my feet now and pleading with O'Neill to get us through this simulated wall. 
He said he could open a portion of the wall, but it would not be wide enough for a man to crawl through. His bigger problem concerned the release of coordinates. Releasing them too quickly and not having a secure opening meant starting the process all over again. Inside my headpiece, Severinsen continued his verbal attack. In another day, Felix Alder will control the intrasolar system. You have failed, Cobb. You and your incompetent supervisor. O'Neill tightened his brow, but did not say anything as he watched his own zip. I intend to bring you to trial. You will be exposed for the traitors that you are. If you survive the interrogation, you will be pulsed slowly. Shut that bastard off. He'll find us, said Wiley. We'll let him. O'Neill pushed his zip. The huge rock ledge pulsed in translucent blue veins as a jagged opening slowly materialized. Brighter green light shone into the darkened tunnel. O'Neill motioned us forward. After you, gentlemen. I do believe there is air in the space ahead, but I would keep your T-suits on until we get in there. I followed Patnode and quickly saw a well-engineered passageway, brightly lit and streamlined ahead. Behind us, the opening sealed. The tunnel not only widened, but also oddly formed a shiny green transparent tube, at least 20 meters in diameter, and it veered to the left. O'Neill released the coordinates, and the ledge formed behind us again. Patnode flipped the T-suit hood. He fluffed his matted gray hair and opened his eyes wide as he took a deep breath. The hell is all this nonsense? This tube, it's not silcoplast, said O'Neill, studying the zip. This is a denser material. I don't even think a pulser could crack this. Wasn't done by prisoners. Great thought, said Wiley. Several dozen meters ahead were a set of taller doors and a tube leading up into the rock. My zip lost the tube skin inside the rocks. I'll repeat what John said. What the hell is all this nonsense? I looked at Wiley. What do you think I am, a geologist? O'Neill wandered ahead of us toward an arched lift. This material may not be of human making. There are prodigious power readings below us, maybe 500 kilometers. Any contamination here is gone. We can go forward and look for the Balkans. Well, dream on, O'Neill. Who cares? I'm listening in my headpiece. Severinsen is docking above 32 right now. He's headed for the prison. He has to find us first, Buck. O'Neill, you're screwed. And what if you find the Belkins? Meaningless. Alder can't be stopped. I agreed with Wiley, but was not about to say it. O'Neill, as he marched ahead, must have known Severinsen would quickly locate the tunnel or the Ice Mountain location. O'Neill called back from the lift. It's opening. He ran his fingers along the frame and checked his zip. An arch holds an opening. It's extremely dense. We don't have anything like this. Another bureau project? No, Buck, we can't make this stuff. You're a dreamer, O'Neill. The waters of oblivion, where those prisoners vanished 75 years ago, was inside the mountains. Let's see where we end up. Chapter 23 O'Neill jabbed a round red button. The doors closed and we started up into the mountains. I looked at my zip. This whole area doesn't exist. Look at your zip. I can't even read Triton or Phil. Very odd, said O'Neill. Great timing, Columbus. I winced at Wiley's shenanigans, but felt my heart racing as we slowed. About thirty seconds later, the fluted doors spread apart revealing a shiny dark floor that sloped toward a clear span overlooking the prodigious Station 32 dome. It was as if we were suspended in midair. A glowing white rim tapered back to the lift. When I stepped out, I saw another set of doors to the left of the lift. We all drew our pulses. I glanced over the pale green phosphorescent dome until the doors opened and blue light from Neptune filled the entire portal span and scattered across the shiny dark floor. A silver dome chamber, a few meters high, resembled a food cooker, but I thought it was a tracer. Ahead was a smooth white slab that stretched to another gray surface and a distant, aqua-hued light in space. That runway goes on forever. Why is there a tracer in here? Unknown, said O'Neill. Just where are they going? 
O'Neill's eyes darted from the runway, across from the mountains, and Neptune, and then back to the chamber. I located another set of doors to the right. The long corridor, resembling a hotel hallway, contained dozens of cubbyhole rooms extending diagonally to a white wall in the distance. I tiptoed along the rough, silcoplast floor. Some of the side doors were open. The inside suite had homey habitat quarters. I stopped when I saw several transport containments deposited along open drapes overlooking the dome below. The identity panels made my stomach sink. M. Belkin. John! Patno tumbled into the room, followed by Wiley and O'Neill. Mark's, Mark's transport, transport containments. containments. Where, Where is, is he and Jenna? Asked Patno, opening the tabs. Then he looked up. Filled for transport. transport. Where is he, he going? going? To safety, said Mark, stepping from another corridor to the left. My heart thumped as if I had just been running. He wore a light green suko with a darker neckliner. Shaded rings circled his brown eyes, and his hair was a tad grayer. I faced him. I hope, I hope you're, you're proud, proud of yourself. yourself. Nothing to be, be proud of, or, or not, not to be, be proud, proud of. A green metallic pinpoint pulse shook in his hand. Drop your weapons. weapons. O'Neill stared at him and slid the rifle across the floor. Patno did the same. Mark turned to me. You want to kill, kill me, me Mark? Mark? You should have stayed out of this, Harry. Oh, really? You're the one who brought me into this. I didn't think you would uncover what you did. You're too smart for your own good. Did you, did you fake, fake Jenna's, Jenna's death? death? Jenna, her blonde hair straight and past her shoulders, walked upright and around her husband. She wore a one-piece black suko and also carried a pinpoint. Her voice was strong, and she had an arrogant look in her eyes. I was, I was slighted, slighted by, by Felix Alder to be murdered. The only way to survive was to die. And I did. Because, my old friend, you didn't have the moral fiber to challenge what Alder did to Nevis. You were very thorough, Harry. She nodded her head with a superior attitude that made me ill. Now put down the rifle, or I will kill you. Too much is at stake here. I had no doubt she would indeed fire the pulser. And I threw the rifle at Mark, who caught it, fumbled, and then dropped it on the floor. She immediately picked it up. Do you understand what Alder has in mind for the inner solar system? What we have in mind will make things right. Right. You just let an elected commissar be murdered under your nose. Just let it slip by because of your career and your life. Harry, you don't understand. O'Neill stepped forward and spoke through clenched teeth. Just because you don't care about millions of people is irrelevant. What, what the, the hell, hell is that, that little toy out front? We're leaving, said Mark. Shut up, Mark, shouted Jenna, moving forward. What's, What's up, up front is none, none of your business, O'Neill. What is this place, anyway? I asked, panning the area. I've known about this most of my adult life. Slowly, I understood what they tried to do. Who? I asked. They never made it. I uncovered their remains and deciphered their escape. Why is it called the Waters of Oblivion? Why am I getting a massive reading below, yet nothing registers in Station 32 or anywhere else? I'm amazed, Harry, even though I respect you both greatly, that you and O'Neill got here. Listen to me. A human creatures so distant from their point of origin, they had no choice to do what they had to do. And what that affords me to do is what I must do. You're speaking in riddles. I want, I want you to come, come back, back with us. Come, come back, back where? Phil Severinsen may be within minutes of entering the Sazerin Tunnel. We will not wait for him to come here and kill us all. Jenna, everything depends on you. Alder will bring freedom to a halt. Millions will die. Millions yet unborn will never live in freedom. There is nothing I can do here and now. Bring out the story. You are a witness to a coup d'etat. I moved closer, and tears welled in her eyes. Jenna, he murdered Nevis. We can change that. By running away? O'Neill took one step forward. Severinsen now has two teams with him, right here in the connecting tunnel. Trust me, Harry. You must trust me. I will fix this. You have no ideas of the possibilities here. Trust me. I trusted you. 
I know you don't understand this, but you will. Mark picked up his containments, but fanned O'Neill's rifle. Everything will be all right, Harry. Like it was for me and the Sarazen, riding the back of that narwhal to escape. Jenna's eyes opened, but Mark's eyes were teary as he stepped toward me. Wait. That creature was not indigenous. They brought it here, just like the compression. What compression? You mean that thing out front? Yes. Mark, shut up. She held the pulser and violently pulled him back. Then they sidetracked into the front room, and the doors closed with a thud. This is all classified. Now I know why. Wasn't the contamination. Right. Somebody thought that sealed passageway would keep anyone out of here. Well, you can bank on the fact that that chamber out front is how they intend to fly out of here, said Patno. I crunch my brow and, and move forward. This is a damned a-human sight. Everything they said about creatures from outside the solar system was true. We have other things to worry about, said O'Neill, scanning the wall. I estimate Phil will be here in less than ten minutes. We have to find a way out. We rushed back up front as a pervasive vibration commenced. I had trouble standing and covered my ears as I shouted. Doesn't sound like a tracer. We were forced to the tiles until the crescendo waned to a steadier buzz. O'Neill stood first, and I trailed him to the door. On my zip, I heard Severinsen ordering people up the lift. Somehow we need to deactivate that lift, I said, as O'Neill curled his fingers into the sliding door frame. Patno joined me, and amidst the steady shaking, we slowly pulled back the inner door. Wiley leaped on the floor and covered his head. The silver chamber was encircled by brilliant white light. It slightly fell back and then shot forward at incredible velocity across the endless surface. In seconds, it disappeared onto the horizon darkness, leaving a gold-grainy trail across the surface as it tapered back where the silver chamber had been. O'Neill was inside the corridor. We need, we need a, a way, way out. Patno and I followed him back to the rear section with several darkened alcoves. The rooms in the ensuing corridor had no exit, but I heard Patno's astounded voice from the side room. I pivoted to my left and saw him in dim green light. Thin hebon tubes lined the silcoplast bins. Inside were short, pale green bodies in a wisp of light. The bodies appeared mummified or shrunken. I noticed the heads were oblong and larger than a human head. Bulging eyes were closed. Their mouths had no lips and were also closed. Fine white dust settled over a long chest and stomach. Their legs were very long. I counted eleven bodies. Are these, these cryo-mutants? I don't know, I said as O'Neill shouted outside. They looked dead to me. O'Neill's face was flaccid as if he had expected to find the A-humans. Ah, the benefactors of this banquet. He walked up to the silcoplast, peered inside, and then turned abruptly. This is an important discovery, but let me remind you that Phil is right on our collective tails. Severinsen and his men were rising upward in the lift. We raced through the swirling particles to the lift panel. I've never seen anything like this, said O'Neill. He used his elbow and then kicked at the controls. Before I could hear the lift hum, O'Neill waved us back to the rear section. The lift doors opened. The chamber trail had faded to a pale pink and soon dissipated altogether. I turned with O'Neill and Patino. Wiley hovered to the right. From the lift, dressed in a black suko with a red neckliner, Phil Severinsen strode onto the black tile with an overweighted pulser in his right hand. Well, well, well. There they are. The evidence is out there, Phil, said O'Neill, taking one step forward. Evidence is useless without the means to use it, John. I just want you to know before I kill you that this is not personal. Killing doesn't get more personal. No, I don't suppose it does, Harry. But we have a new order beginning. Felix Alder has been sworn in. You see, your efforts have been in vain. While I admire your prowess, I have specific orders from the Commissar. I am truly sorry. Another field descended on my skin. Even Severinsen was edgy. Oh, you're sorry, Phil. Like you were when you railroaded O'Neill and me out of the Bureau. He panned the area. I've always wanted to see this. Why? Where the A-humans landed? Severinsen gave me a slight grin, and as if he acknowledged our prowess in uncovering the A-human presence. 
It's restricted and cordoned off. Never mind. And there's no reason why we can't be of value to you, said O'Neill. I knew he was trying to negotiate our lives, and so did Severinsen. His cold, gray eyes focused on O'Neill. Then he ordered his men forward. Five troopers, affected by the annoying field swarming around us, perched down on one knee and were ready with their pulsar rifles. I had never been afraid of dying, but I did not want to die because of Phil Severinsen. Gunners at the ready, he said with a coldness that traveled down my spine. But as he spoke again, his voice was oddly muted and somewhat slowed. Gunners, aim. By the way, Mr. Cobb, your beloved Angelique seems she fell from the Matterhorn upper level. Hatred surged from within, and I rushed Severinsen. Why, you bastard! Severinsen's sadistic grin was in unison with the gunners, slowly raising their pulsar rifles. But his voice was muffled. His words dragged out and distorted. I was moving extremely slowly. The blue pulsar light was reduced to spiraling inner burst, as if the odd field had taken it, and the pulses tumbled across the room in slow motion. We easily dodged the burst, and then the light never reached us. It just froze. So did Severinsen and the gunner. Then they were all transposed into shades of gray, and dissipated with the pulse of light into a fine mist, and then they vanished. We were immovable for the longest time. Dear Lord, said Patno as he finally shuffled forward. He waved his hand through the air. What, what happened? happened? Unknown. I fell back against the wall and covered my eyes. Angelique was dead because of me. O'Neill's zip beeped and he pushed the button. This is Buck Wiley. Wiley? O'Neill's brow tightened as he looked around the room. Where are you, Wiley? Oh, I'm in my office at the Matterhorn. Where else would I be? That's impossible. You clowns know you're in a restricted area? An area that was once flooded with Kodiak radiation? We're, we're aware of that. That radiation is gone, Buck. How did you get out there? That's my question to you, smart guy. I have people all over me from Commissar Nevis's office wondering how you got in there. Nevis? And I'm looking at the classified catacomb file called The Waters of Oblivion, specifically forbidding anyone to go in there. You guys are in serious trouble. I watched O'Neill as he paced the room where the silver chamber had been. He stroked his chin and his face was pensive. Then he produced a long, bellowing laugh across that surface. surface. Don't, Don't you understand where they went? I think, I think so, so, I answered. Nevis is commissar. Wiley snapped back on frequency. What are you, nuts? Of course he is. What about Alder and Severinsen? What? Felix Alder? Felix Alder? Answered Wiley. Yes. yes. What's wrong with you people? The pytoid explosion here inside Station 32. Alder and Severinsen are dead. What? I asked, running over to O'Neill's zip. Who was responsible? That's why you clowns were hired by the Bureau, or, or have you all got collective amnesia? Look, I would suggest that you get your butts back to the Sarazen. You obviously won't be prosecuted. Just tell me, why would you go down there? Incredible. I have contamination personnel standing by in the Sarazen. We're heading back now. Gentlemen, I would say it is a good guess that the Balkans have spared the intrasolar system from the wrath of Felix Alder and Phil Severinsen. I was mesmerized by the vast linear stretch and the infinitesimal line that separated light from perpetual darkness. The words flowed softly from my lips. Angelique. Angelique. Epilogue. Our debriefings began early the next Sunday morning after everything changed. From the Matterhorn Circular Skyway, overlooking Triton's ice mountain ridges, each of us told our story to Commissar Nevis and high-level Bureau and Intra-Security operatives. We now existed within a realigned timeline, but had the advantage of witnessing the time travel inside the ice mountains. They half-believed what I was saying, until the personnel inside the chamber room reported back the frozen A humans were dead but of great value. The Narvald species, transported across the stars, were the only living remnants of the extraterrestrial life. The power generation deep under Triton would require more exploration. 
I began my report with my arrival on the cruise liner. O'Neill had indeed contacted Section 5 to secure the McCabe identity, but Alder and Severinsen became aware of that fact and sent me to the Sarazen to die. But as each of the questioners interjected, I was cognizant subtle changes had taken place in time. Mark and Jenna Belkin disappeared after the assassination of Felix Alder and Phil Severinsen. I learned Calvin was still alive, yet in his timeline knew nothing of Alder's attempt to seize the intra-power. Rennie was in the transaction zone, but was also out of the timeline. When we returned from lunch, O'Neill detailed every moment from Nevis's death in the other timeline. Nevis's brown eyes widened as O'Neill vividly described what Alder had done. The operatives and Nevis conferred behind clear silcoplast doors as we waited outside with Wiley. You're telling me you remember nothing, Buck. Wiley grinned. You gotta know by now, Cobb. I only tell what I have to tell. To the right person. You have a wonderful day here on Triton. He turned and O'Neill smiled. The Triton mentality. The oak frame clear silcoplast doors slid open. Nevis walked ahead of the others. Gentlemen, I want you to know that my colleagues believe what you say. There will be, of course, an official inquest. First matter of business, we need a new director of the Bureau, and Mr. O'Neill, you are our first choice. O'Neill's eyes moistened as he stared at me. Then he faced Nevis. Sir, I respectfully decline, he said, smiling at me. You are an adroit politician, Commissar. Yes, I am, he said in his low, mellow voice. I will commit to two years. Nevis extended both his hands. I feel we are safer already. I met with Calvin before leaving Triton. Although he was briefed by Bureau agents, he was surprised that I hugged him and was overjoyed to see that he was alive. He said he had never met me and laughed when I said he had been killed. I described his role in the other timeline and then asked him to start a catacomb search for Angelique. I chided myself for thinking ill of my friends. Mark and Jenna had outfoxed Severinsen and Alder, as well as Levinsky. O'Neill set up a station below the Sarazen and a second contingent at the Cap. Science and archaeological teams would rotate inside a permanent research facility. The waters of oblivion contained designs from another race of beings. That discovery would further advance our own technology. Any remnant of the time chamber was gone, and so were the Belkins. O'Neill confirmed with his contacts that Jenna had left a statement with Richard Merritt. Her main premise, repeated throughout her dissertation, posited that time travel was much too dangerous. Jenna and Mark wanted to live out their days in obscurity. In Wiley's office, I left with even more respect for O'Neill, now bound for the Bureau transition meeting at Annapolis. Patnode was joyous as he spoke to his grandchildren about returning to his family on Mars. I purchased another cruise liner trip and left word for Sadie that I did not want to be disturbed this time. I walked with a Dante's blaster in my hand along the pool. Too many things were stuffed in my mind. I wanted to just leap in the pool and lose myself. I set the blaster in a recliner holder and moved to the side of the pool I inhaled and leaped in the water. The weightless feeling and the warm water soothed my senses. I moved my arms like some amphibious creature that had narrowly escaped a predator. Something hit me in the shoulder. I opened my eyes and saw a blurred female body, slender and well-proportioned, in a one-piece teal suit. I quickly moved to the surface. She wore a skull cap and eye shields for the water. I gulped for air and so did she. I helped her onto the silcoplast. When she removed the clear shield, her green eyes focused on me. I recognized her as she spoke. My name is Angelique. Yes, yes I, know. I know. I was told you were looking for me. Have we met? No, ma'am, we haven't. Not in this time and place. You're a romantic, eh? A dreamer? Yes and no. Yes, I'm a dreamer, but I know where I've been, Miss Angelique. Can I buy you a drink? Should I trust you? No, you should not trust me. Definitely not. I helped her up and we crossed poolside. I wondered about time and time travel. But as I walked with her, I also began to realize my ideas about people. How some people would be friends or lovers. How time and all its implications 
made little difference to the human soul. The waters of oblivion is a restricted area because of the alien time chamber. The original painting called Sadek in Search of the Waters of Oblivion is an 1812 oil painting by John Martin. Martin's painting is dramatic and cavernous, akin to the waters of oblivion in the ice of Triton. I'm pleased with the ending of this book and the way that Belkins flipped time. Hope you were pleased and liked Harry Cobb, The Ice of Triton. I'm going back to Hamilton, New Hampshire next time in early Matthias Jones' book called Murder at Toby Lake. In Murder at Toby Lake, Brad Davis was a brilliant genetic researcher working for Hamilton Fletcher in Hamilton College. But Davis's wild life of parties, booze, drugs, and sex made him many enemies. When he is murdered, a Hamilton College student, Amy Pollard, is found with her personally owned handgun, the gun that killed Brad Davis. Just that afternoon, Davis bloodied his benefactor, Hamilton Fletcher, in the nose. Lurking in the background is Davis's mob connection to Albert Fiore in Boston. A Hamilton College professor, Zoe Wilmot, is suspiciously surveilling the lake house area. The Fletchers reach out to Matthias Jones to protect the college's interests and find the murderer. Jones ends up with his nefarious friend, Coco Stefani, in Boston, and eventually confronts the murderer directly. This is Fitton, and I'm leaving Triton for Hamilton. Follow me! All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittonbooks.com, or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.